worshipped, so they said, the great old ones who lived ages before there were any men, and who came to the young world at least. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 25 of the Great Old Ones Gaming Podcast. I am your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I am joined with this episode. I am the man from Lang, host of the Whisper in Darkness YouTube channel. And I'm Innkeeper Vase Odin of the Twisted Tentacle Inn. Hey, and that's me, Nathan. Uh, you can catch me on Instagram, Arkham Horror Images of Madness, uh, or you can check out uh, another site that I help run, Arkham Central with Karsten. Uh, amazing content for fan-made scenarios. I love that energy you had there, Nathan. That was great. Oh, oh f*** off. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a while since we've recorded an episode. And it's like it a years. Been... <laughs> yeah, it feels like a year. It does. It feels like, <laughs> feels our like we've gone to the, uh, to the edge of the earth All three of our listeners are like, like, where the hell those guys go? And then we dropped to two, and then the third we like, woke <laughs> back up. and We might go for four this year. Fingers crossed. Frank and Peter from Drawn to the Flames uh, said they might actually listen to an episode. Uh, they told oh. me that uh, a while back. So... What? Oh, that's charitable. Yeah, I mean, yeah they didn't promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, what have you guys been up to lately? I've just been playing with the new cards in the Edge of the Earth Investigator expansion. Testing them out. Taking them Overall, frosty thumbs up or frosty thumbs down? No, they're, for the most part, I've enjoyed them. Okay. There's yeah. the... The usual seeker BS, but <laughs> that's, just, wow. that's just become Holistic skills. par for the course at this point. So, yeah. So I have been enjoying those. I have not really, I have played around with uh, Daniela, who I've been enjoying a lot, even as a solo investigator, even though she has one intellect. And I played Norman way back in the day when he was first released but i haven't played the new the new norman with his new signatures and uh i haven't really i played a little bit of lily but i've been mainly testing the the new cards in in older investigators and some have been good some not so good but uh yeah for the most part i'm enjoying it and i'm looking forward to uh, delving into the campaign here sooner than later hey did you ever get to play the um um what was the latest parallel investigator? Um, Roland was it Roland the most recent one that had a similar t- mechanic to Lily? Yeah, no, I haven't uh, played Roland yet. Still haven't had a chance. Wow. Yeah, I haven't even had. I totally forgot, honestly, that that you just reminded me. Well, there were there was a post on Twitter. I don't know. It feels like about a month ago at this point, where they were suggested that the parallel Wendy was coming soon and has not materialized, so I don't know uh, what's happening with that. Yeah, I think they said early 2022 with that, if I remember correctly. And then there's also, if you know where to look, the the name of the next Investigator expansion is out there as well. Mm. And you and I had been doing uh, a plethora of card reviews with a friend of the show, Manastrophic. Yes, over on the Whisper in Darkness, uh, myself... You and Matastrophic have been made our way through the revised core set for the benefit of new players, which took, uh, I think, a month overall to to get out 
the investigators as well as the player cards. And now we're making our way through the uh, Edge of the Earth Investigator expansion. The rogue cards will go up here this week, followed by Mystic and Survivor, and then all of the various multi-class cards. All which, uh, of them. There are so plentiful, <laughs> they require videos of their own. But that has been uh, that's been fun to chat about the cards and figure out if they're they're good or not. Or and I think so far, for the most part, they've been. I think our impressions have been positive. the The new skills are really good. The new uh, composures are really good. Yeah, I think a lot of the the new cards bring a lot of new, interesting deck building options as well, which is really cool. I really like most of the the new permanent cards those really allow you to kind of build your deck in ways that we've never seen the game do before which is really cool um but yeah it's been a lot of fun uh doing those reviews with you and Matt over on your channel we've had a lot of good discussion even even over the course of what feels like an eternity sometimes like we i think we spend gosh upwards of like five six hours sometimes when we do those recording sessions yeah yeah, I think the the longest one we did was about six hours, and we managed to get through maybe two classes. I think oh, so. Wow, it's it's working out to be, I think, about forty five minutes per video, and there's three videos per class. So, and then it takes me about two and a half hours to edit each video. So, yeah, there's a lot of time that goes into to making them. So it's a labor of love, to say the least. It is. It is, but but players are finding them useful and and learning new things, and and uh, that's that's why we do them. Absolutely. What about you, Vase? I know you've been busy moving oh and <laughs> super busy. Uh, lots going on in my personal life. So uh, now I think I'll be in the clear once I get back from Florida. But I'll be going out of town for a few weeks. Uh, but haven't had really a chance to play much of anything. Haven't played. Uh, Arkham as much as I wanted to. We, we've been playing our uh, Return to the Forgotten Age campaign, which has been really fun. I've really been enjoying it. Uh, I think playing the two rogues was really cool, although it's been far more swingy than I, than I expected it to be. Some scenarios we annihilated, like not even a challenge at all, and some scenarios we just completely got derailed like from one moment to the next to the point where we had catastrophic results a couple of times. <laughs> um, so that was, that was kind of interesting. I did not expect this, uh, this campaign to be so swingy for us. Uh, I thought we'd either do really well or do kind of poorly, but to do really well in some scenarios and really poorly in others was a kind of a shock. It's something that d doesn't happen to me regularly in Arkham. So either you're doing well or you're just derailing all the way down. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was interesting because we did really well in the first scenario, and then and the third one too. Yeah, and then the second one, it was just a train wreck. I don't know <laughs> what happened during that game. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, we did okay in most of the other scenarios because scenario three we did really well, four we did okay, five we did okay, um, and then <laughs> the library. Oh my god, man, that was. We started off really well. We did, yeah. I think I think the issue with that campaign has mostly been me. Uh, weirdly enough, I know. Like I don't know. 
I I don't know. I think it's because like my deck requires a lot of setup to get going. Or it's like Jenny just kind of gets money and I don't know that you were really like a major cause, especially of the last in the last uh, scenario. I don't know. Well, but it's yeah, it's not like I wasn't contributing. It's more just I wasn't contributing fast enough. If that makes sense. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, I, I feel like we just had bad luck, but. Um, Overall, it's still been super fun, and we still have yet to finish it uh, because this month has been so crazy. I haven't had a chance to play, but I haven't even played D and D or Delta Green or <laughs> really much of anything. So I know it's. Speaking I've been of I've, Delta Green though. I uh, my wife. Sorry to interrupt you there, but my wife bought me Impossible Landscapes, and ooh. I am super pumped to finally take a look through this book. Um, is that the one that has different doors that you kick down as a federal agent? Who this is this is not important. What what I need from you right now is for you to answer me as clearly and as concisely as you can. Oh my god! Arthur! Arthur, I think they've kidnapped Thomas! It, it, yes. <laughs> yep. And then you call people's parents and you don't tell them that you're a federal agent. <laughs> Emotionless. <laughs> Emotionless. <laughs> it's the exact one, actually. Well, that yeah, Impossible Landscapes is, so far, the community has been giving some really good feedback on that one. So I haven't had a chance to look through the whole thing. Um, I have it. i just been so busy. But, yeah, I can't wait to, to check that one out and actually run it. Um, what about you, Nathan? Yeah, I've been working still at a game store, and uh, I picked up another couple jobs. So I haven't had a lot of free time. Um, that said, I have been playing games like Final Girl, which is a solo horror game, which is incredible. Um, I played Obsession, which is kind of like Downton Abbey, the board game, which sounds boring, but actually it's quite good. Um, sold a bunch of board games recently, but I have been kind of ramping up uh, my Arkham uh, organization, and I've been talking to people about starting some campaigns. So I think uh, going into the new year, I think my quote-unquote resolution, although I don't really have resolutions so much as I just get stuff done and not worry about if I do it or not, um, but I plan on uh, delving into the full Edge of the Earth campaign and making the most of all the frosty goodness there, as well as going back and trying some. Um, I still haven't done, uh, what was it, War of the Outer Gods standalone. And I'm looking forward to the new Machinations in Time. Uh, so those are kind of on my immediate to-do list in 2022. And Nate, what about you? What have you been up to, man? You've been busy. You've been still active. I've been all over the place. So, I mean, apart from school, which is now finally over as of uh, a couple weeks ago. Ta-da! Uh, thank you. Another another good semester underneath my belt, which was nice. I have been recording with Man from Lang and Magistophic, as we were discussing earlier. I've been running my Call of Cthulhu campaign on our Twitch channel, which is in the description of this episode, if you want to check that out. We usually stream on Friday nights at around 8, 8.30 or so, Eastern Standard Time. It's a f- good time. It's Weird West Pulp Cthulhu uh, set in the 1870s uh, in the Salt Lake area. It's been a lot of fun. Been running them through a bunch of uh, modded scenarios of um, of Call of Cthulhu for, for Pulp, so that's been a lot of fun. And then 
I've been playing Arkham with you, Vase, as you had said earlier. We've been playing Return to TFA on Twitch on Sundays. And apart from that, I've really just been busy with school, so it's just been kind of tough. But now that I've had the past couple of weeks, I'm finally getting into Edge of the Earth, and I'm testing out some decks, and I'm really liking um, really liking Lily more than I thought I initially would. I thought she'd be a little not my cup of tea, but... Yeah, I've really enjoyed playing Lily lately, so I'm experimenting with her. And, of course, going back to Trish. So, that's what I've been up to. Actually, that's a bit of a lie. I've been I've been doing some behind-the-scenes work, getting together all of the, uh, the back-end stuff with the help of Justin from Mythos Busters and all those guys. So, huge thank you to them. Uh, we are going to be running another Horrors Without Borders charity stream event on January 7th. Or January 8th, excuse me. January 8th, which is a Saturday, uh, from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So it's going to be 12 hours of various content creators joining us on the live stream. We're going to be playing some Arkham. We're going to be talking about Arkham. There's going to be trivia. There's going to be a speed run. It's it's going to be all sorts of fun, just like last year. The um, cool thing about Harvest Without Borders is there is no charge. There's no cost to anyone. So unlike um, you know the, the gathering events where people gather together to play Arkham and stuff, this is just the community getting together. People hang out in the chat. They get together for games on the side. They watch content creators do their thing. It's a really fun event that brings everybody together. And the best part about it is, it's for a good cause. We last year, it was it had so many uh, great community members just take part in it and help out, uh, especially with you know the world state, with the pandemic and all that. Uh, a lot of doctors all over the world just are donating their time and their their health to try and help people in need and you know giving to them the small amount that we were able to raise uh, i think really makes a difference and it was really nice to see that thank you letter that we got um, afterwards from doctors without borders um, because it really does go a long way and we appreciated everybody who came came by and supported and even if you can't support with with your wallet uh, just hanging out and supporting everybody who's putting in their time to make content uh, really goes a long way, too. Hey, Vase. Yes, sir. I have a Miskatonic University alum wallet, so you can bet your bottom dollar I'll be supporting. <laughs> just saying. Nice, 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 nice. Um, so do we have um, do we have any special things for for prize matching yet, Nate? Uh, as far as prizes go, we've got tons of great stuff. I know you've got some investigator starter decks. We've got some orbits tokens. We've got uh, I've got some extra Arkham novels. We've got it, Edge of the Earth and um, investigator expansion to give away. We've got tons of stuff. Yeah. It's going to be great. Well, and uh, I'll announce it right now before anyone else chimes in. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh oh. The great old ones will be matching up to three hundred dollars for donations. We'll. We'll announce that more during our portion of the of the uh, event. Wow! Well, that's very generous. So and, uh, that's going to be uh, matching what Mythos Busters donated last year. So ooh, maybe they'll it's a uh, challenge. Threw <laughs> 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 the tentacle down in front of them. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we managed to raise over three thousand dollars last year. So I'd really like to see us get to five thousand. I know we can do it. I think. I think we got it in us, so 
if we all kind of pool together and, you know, if a bunch of people can pitch in like even just a dollar or two, it's, you know, that really makes a huge difference for those people. Yeah. And we have prizes, don't we, that are uh, they're going to be going away to anyone who who just participates within the in within the event, right? Door prizes yep. of sorts. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as, you know, as the donations start to come in, we'll be giving away prizes and um, full details will be uh, in the episode description as well as on our website. And there's also a landing page on the Mythos Busters website as well. So, Nathan, you had mentioned earlier on um, when when we were talking before before the episode about how um, you had you had been encountering this sort of gameplay issue, and I think Man from Langit kind of chimed in a little bit on it when he was talking about his experiences with Daniela. Is this idea of when do you play conservatively or when do you play proactively, and when do you go all out? Yeah, and you know, I listened to. You know everybody uh, with their podcast and their gameplay and watch the playthroughs. Uh, I mean, because there's a lot to be said for playing smart and conservatively and making sure you've always got some cards up your sleeve in case things start to go sideways. Uh, but I think there are definite times during the course of the game when you need to kind of pull the stops and really go all out. Um, like I tell anybody when I sell them the game, if they get Essex County Express, hey, pedal to the metal, just go hardcore at it. Because, um, you know, there is the there is the momentum in, in the game where, you know, the more you're doing well, the more you're getting advantages. You're getting clues, you're advancing the act, uh, you're getting away from or defeating enemies that could get worse later. And I think I think a fairly large amount of the game is playing it in a very structured, careful way where you're communicating with other people or if you're playing solo or two-handed solo, you know, you're just kind of going along assessing risks. But there's definitely a time when you need to just be like, nope, I'm just going to flat out burn bridges. Whether that be certain scenarios or at some point in the game, usually it's, you know, Act 3, Agenda 3, where you need to throw off the gloves and really start burning through your resources you've been stockpiling. Uh, I kind of wanted to hear what other people had to say about that concept and see if it was just me. I think you really touch on a good point, and I think ultimately what it boils down to is one's ability to assess what skill tests they have to pass throughout the course of a scenario. Um, you know, I think as you get more experience in this game, you sort of learn that not all tests are created equal, and learning what tests you can and can't pass uh, are really critical to doing well in campaigns. You know, I think like you were saying, you know, it is sort of scenario or even campaign dependent, but, you know, that, that ability to assess, like, what skills you need to really be investing your resources in is really critical to doing well in this game. You know, it's... It's kind of like, and for, for those listeners and other great old ones, uh, when you first start playing Magic the Gathering, you block everything that comes at you. You stop every point of damage. When you first start, in my experience, when you first start playing this game, you try to make every every skill test. 
because you don't want to take damage. You don't want to lose momentum. But like you just said, there comes a time in which you get to the point where in Magic you let you let yourself get hit, even if it's for a lot, if you know that you have a counter-strike that could do more damage or that could win the game. You, you let yourself fail certain tests. Um, I think Man From Lang really brought this up well when he talked about doing Dunwich uh, solo. And I want to say it was where Duma waits, maybe? Where, uh, as a solo investigator, the willpower tests are just ridiculous if you've got a low willpower. So he just failed it and moved on. And that is kind of a macro, but good example of just kind of making the call and dealing with the consequences. Um, that would be an aspect of what I'm talking about. Um, what about uh, Vase? Do you have any wisdom or insight? Um, I think you, you bring up some really good points with that. It's like, how do you approach a certain scenario, especially if you've never played the scenario before? Do you play defensively or do you just play aggressively and try to try to get it done before it gets you? And I think it's a couple of things. One, it's a matter of play style. Uh, some people prefer one play style over another. Some people like playing defensively and don't like taking hits. Um, but I also think it's, like Nate said, uh, scenario dependent but also investigator dependent but overall i find myself when i play solo i tend to play more aggressively where i let the you know the the uh encounter deck beat me up a little bit if it needs to uh, so i can just keep moving forward if it doesn't slow me down too much and just kind of pick pick my battles that way but i find in a, a multiplayer game you have the luxury of taking on the different roles. So you can have someone playing more aggressively and a couple of people playing more defensively and kind of absorbing some of the stuff from the other members of the team. So it's kind of an interesting thing that you brought up because I feel like that's partially maybe has never come to my mind as to the differences between playing solo and playing multiplayer, specifically with a lot of players, like three or four players, where it actually does make sense that you do have uh, a change in play style, and it's most likely that just aggressive versus more defensive game. Uh, very good points, and I hadn't thought too much about the dynamic of having multiple people playing because you might have one person playing conservatively throughout, but then other people, maybe like yourself, seeing that certain decisions need to be proactively or aggressively taken on, starts playing wild, and, and hopefully yeah. other people will pick up the slack. Also, I want to apologize Thinking upon it, it was undimensioned, unseen man from Lincoln talked about not where Duma waits. So just in case he came oh. in with that one. Oh, yeah, that one. <laughs> For sure, that one. Yeah, I think generally in solo, I very rarely play defensively because you just can't afford to spend rounds just trying to protect yeah. yourself. You just have to keep pushing forward as much as possible or you're not. Even when you first play a scenario for the very first time, because I think that's when people are most defensive because they're trying to hold back their their resources and hold back their good cards to see where the momentum is and, and where they should put their energy. But then future scenarios or future planes of the same scenario, I'd argue that almost everybody's more aggressive. Right? Yeah, yeah, I, that does make sense. Um, I do think looking back now, it's so it's been so long since I played a new scenario by myself <laughs> Because um, I haven't gotten into the new campaign yet, but I think, yeah, I do tend to play a little bit more defensively when it's a blind playthrough. 
But that the blind playthrough only happens once in a scenario, unless I haven't played in a while or something. What, what do you think, man, from Lang? What are your thoughts on this? I tend to play pretty aggressively in in all scenarios, perhaps even a little too aggressively because I, I'm pushing forward so relentlessly that I can sometimes end up in a situation where I'm, I run out of gas because I've been pushing so hard and, and don't have enough left to, to seal the deal at the end. But generally I think if you're playing, whether you're playing a scenario blind or you played a scenario for the umpteenth time, especially in solo, I don't think you can go wrong by pushing forward as, as fast as you can, because often in scenarios, there are points that you need to hit, uh, in a scenario like the secret name, for example, you really need to be in solo. At least you need to beat that before the final agenda, or you almost have no chance of completing it. Uh, things like uh, you've mentioned Essex County Express, where you want to go quickly because otherwise the train's going to fall out from underneath you. I find with that one, if you can get a good start, make a little bit of progress, and then sort of relax a little bit and let the train catch up to you, that can give you a, a little bit of, of breathing room. Or if you're playing a scenario like, I mean, before the Black Throne comes to mind where you've just got so much to do, you really don't have time to, to, uh, to dawdle. You need to be going fast all the time. And, and then even then you need a little bit of luck in order to, uh, to beat that one. So I don't think you can go wrong by, by going fast regardless. I think one, one area where I think new players may shy away from anyway is that treating their health and sanity as resources that can be spent as well you know you don't get any bonus points at the end if you have health and sanity left over so if you need to take a tax of opportunity or move and you have the health and sanity often that's a better choice than um playing it safe yeah i often um when i play solo and when I play multiplayer too, I'm often just playing very aggressively, and maybe that's why Vase and I have such uh, dynamic scenarios, is that we're both playing very aggressively, and that can sort of spiral the game out of control as we're both sort of recklessly taking damage from the encounter deck and <laughs> things like that. True. I mean, when it works, it works. Exactly. Right? You kill. You destroy the scenario when you when you just rush right through it. But. Uh, yeah, but there are times, you know, when, you know, maybe you you misanalyze a particular skill test and you overcommit to something, and now all of a sudden you don't have those icons for that test you really needed them for. And it, it's an interesting skill, I think, to develop over the course of playing the game, you know, what skills you can take and how much how much resources you need to pump into into skills. It's sort of... On the same line, I guess it's kind of like that revelation I think all players have of learning to game the bag on standard. Like once you learn that kind of plus two of the bag or being two over on the bag, you know, that really like changes, I think, fundamentally how people perceive and play the game. Yeah, I think generally going fast is is preferable. I can think of a few circumstances where 
you need to be a little careful, especially if an enemy is going to spawn. I mean, the earliest example, of course, is the Midnight Masks. You need to be ready for that. That's not something you want to stumble into unprepared because that can pretty much end your game right there if you're not ready. And we've seen uh, many scenarios since the Midnight Masks that feature large enemies that spawn mid-scenario and you need to have some sort of answer for them, whether that's you're going to fight it or whether you're just going to uh, play tag with it for the rest of the scenario to... Uh, to deal with that one and i think once you once you uh, learn scenarios uh, you you pick up little tips and tricks along the way you uh, you were talking about the return to the doom of etsley before uh, we started recording and how how you had a a very bad run through that and i've i've played that quite a bit lately and uh, and i feel like that one is one that to me, that, that scenario always has sort of an ebb and flow where at the beginning of the scenario, you're sort of spinning your wheels for quite a while as you try to gain some traction. And then it's only later in the scenario that you that you actually make uh, significant progress. So it can sort of feel like at the beginning you're not getting very far, but you're really just trying to set yourself up so that you can make a, a, a lunge towards the end. But I think with that scenario, you need... a the, the locations to come out in a particular layout and until you sort of realize that that scenario can be very tricky it's the same with something like the waking nightmare from the dream eaters where you you need to find the patient and lock off the patient ward from being infected as quickly as possible and once you've sort of achieved that goal you can relax a little bit and take your time and deal with the infected rooms, but you you can't let the infection get past the stairwell because otherwise I think the game is lost at that point. You'll just have too much to do and not enough time to do it. Do you think that the, um, that the way we approach scenarios has changed since the inception of the game? Like, do you think that your play style has evolved because of what's come now after the initial releases uh, of the game? Or do you think that it's pretty much remained the same, that aggressive approach? I think I've maintained a pretty aggressive approach since the beginning. I think the game kind of fools you at the when new players pick up and they start to play the gathering. The gathering is really a, a, a leisurely stroll. And I think that sort of breeds a, a false sense of security in players because once they hit the midnight masks, the uh, you have to you learn you have to go a lot faster than you were going in the gathering, and so I I sort of recommend players play the gathering once and then play return to the gathering if they can because that one that one takes that puts more time pressure on you and it teaches you that you need to you don't really have time to dawdle, whereas I think the gathering might be a little too slow. It's it's just a little too generous on the on the uh, with time. Well, they definitely compensate with the uh, devourer below, which crushes all spirits and makes you cry uh, as an adult. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need to, and and I think that's the issue. Like they they play the gathering, and it's just like, oh yeah, we did really well in this scenario, and we took our we took our sweet time beating it, and then you hit midnight masks and realize that 
all of that, that luxury of time, you simply don't have it. And that's just reinforced when you hit devour below and you really don't have, you need to be very efficient with how you make your way through that scenario in order to, to finish it before the big bad destroys If you. there is a big bad in that scenario, spoilers. It's, it's interesting you bring up the gathering, um, you know, because I was thinking about these types of scenarios while you guys were talking is these do as much as you can scenarios. And I think that when you sort of apply this sort of logic, it becomes sort of difficult because you, you're really straining like how like what is the most important thing I need to be spending my resources on? And at what time should I be spending my resources? You know, I, I like it pulls you from both ends. You know, like, do you do you think your logic changes at all when you're going into those types of scenarios? Or is it more just I'm going to focus on what the scenario wants me to do, whether it's banishing heretics or finding cultists and then that's it? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I, I think that those scenarios kind of trick players as well in a way because, for example, starting with the Midnight Masks, there's this thought that, oh, I need to get all the cultists. And sure, that's that's good, but it's not really likely to happen in Solo. I think that's an unreasonable expectation and i think newer players feel like they've failed if they if they don't you know hit a certain number of cultists and yeah and i think that that this sort of carries through and i i sort of just look at it and say like i get what i get and move on as i think the more important thing in that scenario is 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 uh resigning before the the final agenda advances. And, you know, you encounter this as well. I think uh, one I was recently playing is the search for Kadath, which gives you is, is similar in that it gives you, it just lays out all of this stuff that you can do and, and basically says you can play this scenario in any order that you want. And you want to try to get as many signs of the gods as possible and I tend to pick a very, I tend to play that scenario the same way every time because I've looked at it and said, okay, I can earn, you know, X signs of the gods by playing this way. And that's all I need. And this is the most risk-free way of getting it. So I tend to stick to a pretty tried and true route in that one. Whereas something like Midnight Masks is a little more you you want to get as many cultists and but i'm typically happy if i get 3 3 or 4 i think is i've i think i did one i played it once where i got more than that but generally if i get 3 or 4 then i'm i'm looking to resign but that one is is more difficult to to manage just because you, you don't know which which order the cultists are going to come out you don't know where the enemies are going to spawn so it's you have to to play a little more reactive in that one to 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 manage the, all the threats that are on the table all 
especially if you compare that to say the search for Kadath, where it gives you the same sort of proposition, you know, do as much as you can, but you have a lot more control over how you do it. And typically if things get out of hand, you can simply reset the board and start again, which is not an option in the midnight masks. You're stuck. Yeah. Or in most of those kind of do as much as you can scenarios really. Yeah, and I think, you know, at the opposite end of that, where I think things like the Midnight Masks and the Search for Gadath are are well done, I look at something like The Wages of Sin, which is, again, the same sort of idea, do as much as you can. And I've tried to play that scenario as fast as I possibly can, and it's still, there's just too much to do. Or like even uh, Devil Reef is another more modern example as well. It kind of strains the player or strains a solo player a bit too much to try to reasonably do more than one of those objectives so i guess moving on to our next topic here and it's kind of on the same same vein um and it's kind of reflecting over Arkham and our experiences with the game over the past year. Um, one of the one of the questions I had in my notes here was, have your thoughts about the game changed over the year? And if so, how so? That's a good question, Vase. Well, um, definitely changed quite a bit over the years. Um, it's, it's definitely overall, I think, changed for the better. Uh, of course... There's been a few bumps along along the way, but overall, I think the game is still on a trajectory that's in the right direction. It every every new release uh, just hits the right notes. Um, and again, you know, I, we've been critical of certain things, but the only reason we're so overly critical and we're very um, picky with certain things when we talk about those things is because we love the game and because our expectation of it are so high. Because it set the bar so high, and it continues to set the bar even higher. Uh, every every new release introduces something new that I love, that I fall in love with, and you know, it's. I think the game is still going strong and will continue to go strong for a while. So where it started was a great place. Um, the mechanics were kind of basic. Looking back now, I think the design team has done a great job of expanding on the mechanics and uh, how they relate to the themes of the game, how the mechanics interact with existing investigators and new investigators, and definitely uh, not overshadowing, you know, what came before. So if I play um, Dunwich Legacy, I still enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, (laughs) Dunwich has still my favorite scenario of all time, and it was the first full campaign. And you know, I still enjoy it, even though it's a more simple campaign. There's still a lot to to love from it. It's not like other games where, when you look back at some older sets or whatever, they feel outdated. They feel like, you know, they're just not as fun anymore because they're too plain. Arkham doesn't do that. Arkham, because of the nature of the game, the stuff that comes out with new sets, when you go back and play the old sets, you find changes that are actually going to make those older scenarios even more interesting so it's it's cool how this game continues to surprise me and develop in this way um what do the rest of you guys think yeah i think the biggest 
I think the biggest change was obviously the change in the release model, you know, and I think that that alone is sort of game breaking in and of itself. Like not only are we seeing less products per year, but I feel like the products now feel more special as you know, now we're kind of like once a year, now we get a big campaign and it's all released all at once and people can kind of digest it at their own pace. Whereas before you were, if sort of felt like a race that you had to keep up with like a, you know, like a show, which, which I get was kind of part, part of the intention was that, you know, it was meant to be like a episodic thing you kind of kept up with. But, you know, I, I think this newer model works much better just given the way that most people kind of enjoy games in general, which is in their free time when they're, you know, maybe have a couple extra hours to spend and, you know, kind of want to slowly digest the game that way, whereas the the older model sort of wanted you to play it, like, once a month and play the new scenario and then get to the next thing and da 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 da, da and you're always kind of moving forward, but it feels like now the game has a bit more breathing room for each of the releases, which is really nice. This year also saw the tail end of Innsmouth as well, which I felt kind of got swept under the rug a little bit as there was so much hype, I think, not only with the new distribution model, but with um, with Edge of the Earth itself, as I felt like a lot of people were really waiting on that campaign more than Innsmouth. Yeah, I'd say that my... My impressions of the game haven't really changed all that much. There have been some rough spots, especially as a solo player. Um, looking back, you know, the, the Circle Undone campaign was a was a real low point for me. But I think that the game has has improved a lot since then. The one concern I had toward the end of of Dream Eaters and and the beginning of Innsmouth was the Scenario design using a lot of randomness, and I'm not entirely certain whether that randomness was included to increase replayability or what, but just including so many random elements and scenarios that they ended up being very swingy. You could play through one scenario and be like, and have a, a great run and achieve all the objectives because all the random elements fell into place at the right time. And then you could play that very same scenario again and just crash and burn hard because all these random elements uh, just didn't line up and uh, that was a bit of a concern for me but uh, and I don't know what the new what the new campaign has to offer I've only had a chance to peek through the uh, the campaign book and see that the scenarios are very big they have some very I think probably the the, the largest maps that we have seen to date so I'm uh, looking forward to seeing how that uh, how that plays out as well as you know I know that the first scenario for example is played in two parts that's something we haven't seen before so you know 5 5 years on um MJ and Jeremy are still finding plenty of ways to innovate and uh, they're still finding ways of making interesting player cards that uh add to the experience and, and give people who enjoy building decks uh, new toys to to play with. I think there are certain certain areas where I think they have run into 
I think the design space is almost gone. Uh, I know in in our reviews, Matastrophic mentioned weapons being one in particular where as far as Guardian weapons go, there's not much room to maneuver anymore. But, uh, you know, the designers are smart. They'll they'll figure out something to that will uh i know we're 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 going to be getting at least you know one new investigator expansion in 2022 and if it's going to have a hundred plus cards in it so and then uh, i'm sure there'll be more after that so plenty of uh, interesting stuff on the way certainly will keep me occupied for years to come and i haven't even touched the fan-made stuff so more much of the uh, standalone stuff either. I know you don't play much of the uh, stuff like Guardians of the no. Abyss and stuff. So. Yeah, I, I'm just too busy playing the regular stuff. To, to I always feel like I should start like do one campaign and just force myself to play all the standalones as part of the cam- of whatever campaign I happen to be playing, just so I get to play them more often than I do. You know, honestly, I like the standalones for testing decks. You know, if you want to test like a twenty nine XP deck, they're pretty pretty good for that. So, just a recommendation for you there. You go with testing new decks out. I, I like to do the gathering for new decks, but the standalones I never put in a campaign because it's just when I want to do an offshoot and not worry about a campaign play. So. Yeah, I think uh, putting a standalone in the middle of a campaign was something I did early when Insmith was a thing because there wasn't that much XP in. I mean, not Insmith, uh, um, Dunwich, or Dunwich as you call it. Um, I would throw in standalones in between scenarios to try and earn a little more XP, but now I, I, I don't find it useful or helpful. So kind of like you guys, I, I just play the standalones when I want to test a deck. Can you imagine a before and after? You get like some spunky investigators like, hey, let's go into the swamp. There's there's talks of a Rougarou or hey let's go check out that wacky Carnival of Horrors and then like you're you're back in in Arkham like a <laughs> month later or a year later and you're just like covered in blood and gore with this and lifeless yeah with lifeless look on your face altar. maybe holding a mask or maybe holding <laughs> a pelt or something and you're just like okay what else is going on like where was I I don't know <laughs> yeah. That'd be that'd be a funny comic. I'd almost like to do that after every standalone. Or or you're like walking around with a needle sticking out of your arm and like acid oh face God. coming out of labyrinths of lunacy. I don't know. You know, this all <laughs> makes w- way more sense when you have machinations through time and you play that through your campaign. Slow clap. Boom. You're welcome. <laughs> Kick what in about that, that door. stubborn detective? <laughs> Um, that's even more interesting, Nathan. What, what are your thoughts on how oh, things changed? Oh, I, I feel kind of shocked and surprised that you asked me that question. Um, that Nate was going to skip. I you. forgot. I'm so sorry. Uh, I, I just got in. a text. I just got a text from him. Uh, <laughs> F you and the horse you rode in on. Okay, where the hell are you getting a horse from? First of all, I literally live. Right across uh, good the question, from uh, Vase. I appreciate you reaching out and asking. Um, you know, I don't know how many people out there feel this way. I want them to just keep making as much Arkham as humanly or inhumanly in this case as possible. Because if I haven't played it yet, 
or if I'm saving up for something, I want to keep on building that potential energy because uh, I enjoyed the 10 years of Lord of the Rings content that I'm still catching up on. I'm buying all the Marvel that comes out. But there is something special about the campaigns and their flavor and all the new investigators uh, and getting together with friends and playing it out. So bottom line, I don't feel like things have majorly changed other than the fact that I, I continue to appreciate all the time and energy put into new content. And whether it be a standalone or the many, many, many fan-made scenarios or the fantastic job that MJ is doing uh, along with, is it Jeremy? Uh, and, and of course, all their playtesters and all the wonderful artists. I mean, there's so much more that goes into it than just a small handful of people. Um, I just have growing appreciation for the community and for all the people making content. I've been fortunate to have the pleasure of playing with you, Vase, every Sunday for pretty much the entire year. You know, we've taken a couple Sundays off here and there, but I would say we've probably played at least 36 weeks of Arkham over the course of the year, and we've had some many memorable moments while playing. I remember there was one point we played a Skids standalone scenario in which you had accrued about... I think it was 40-something resources, yeah. and then you drew Paranoia, oh my God. only to then lose all of those resources. Yes. <laughs> uh, let's see. The beginning of the year, I managed to draw three auto-fails in a row with Scott when we were playing Murder at the Excelsior Hotel. I feel like that's yeah. every week for you, though, drawing three. <laughs> it, it's true. You know, it's true. But one of my... Uh, my most memorable moments that I'll mention before I kick it off to you guys actually happened pretty recently. Uh, I had mentioned earlier in the episode I'd been doing some testing with some of the newer cards from Edge of the Earth, and I had built a geared-up Joe Diamond deck, and I was playing through Return to Carcosa, and the first three scenarios went pretty well. Joe managed to get all of his items in play. He was rocking. He was rolling. And then we get to the Unspeakable Oath, and there's this one treachery card named Straight Jacket. And boy, howdy, let me tell you about Straight Jacket. When you have a bandolier, Joe's 1911 Colts, two ice picks, and another item, all in your hand slots and your body slot, and you draw Straight Jacket, only to scoop up about 12 resources worth of items back into your hand halfway through the game. Wow. <laughs> oh my god, Nate. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Did you did you forget that card existed in that scenario? I, what I, was I supposed to do, oh, man? Man. Freaking straitjacket, dude. I thought you were gonna say corrosion, but yeah, straitjacket's worse. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Especially if you're playing a geared up deck. Yeah, that's fun. I, I think one of my most memorable moments, um, this might sound a little cheesy, but it's a true story. Um, my, I, I have a few buddies that I've been starting to get into gaming. And so we played a few different games, and one of them bought Mansions of Madness. Didn't even know anything about Arkham Files or anything like that. And he bought Mansions of Madness, and he was trying to learn it, and it was he was playing with his, with his girlfriend or wife. Um, and 
then one day I said, let's play some Arkham. It's very similar to Mansions of Madness. Uh, same characters and same universe, but it's a different type of thing. And so him, uh, Eric, and, and my buddy Nick, um, we decided to play Arkham. Neither one of them had actually played Arkham Horror, the card game. And of course, I start them with The Gathering. And when the priest comes out, man, it's it's still the scene that I think makes or breaks someone, whether they think the game is amazing or whether they realize the game is not for them. It's always that scene um, when the ghoul priest comes out. And man, it just reminded me of when I started playing. And this is where I say, like, it may sound a little cheesy because it's like the tried and true, oh, the the ghoul priest came out. But their rea- seeing their reaction when the ghoul priest came out and retaliate and they're like, oh, they can do that? <laughs> And it was just such an such a cool thing. And my buddy's like, wow, I bought the wrong game with Mansions of Madness because Arkham Horror, like this kind of stuff doesn't happen in Mansions of Madness. So uh, it, it made me happy to see that I got two more people into the game that I love, you know? So I think that that's probably the number one most memorable moment. And then, of course, the Reverse Nate special that happened just a couple of weeks ago was pretty fun. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know what the Nate special is, the Nate special is when he draws a blessed token, another blessed token into an auto fail. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three. Rarely is it four blessed tokens into an auto fail. That's the Nate special. But the Reverse Nate special was curse token, curse token. Maybe there was a third one, curse token, curse token, curse token, elder sign, but the elder sign was still not enough because of all the curse tokens that you drew. <laughs> Somehow he manages to reverse Nate special and still make it a failure, which was pretty memorable. That was fun. You're welcome, <laughs> man from Lang. What's your what's your most memorable moment if you can think of one for this year? Man, I should have I should have looked back over my games to see uh, to see what were uh, memorable. One of the I can't I don't I can't remember whether it was late last year or early this year that I beat uh, before the Black Throne solo with Harvey. Uh, that was pretty memorable. I still uh, think about that one. Uh, one of the most memorable things that happened, uh, actually, again, happened recently. I was playing uh, Waking Nightmare with Agnes, and uh, I. Everybody who has been following my channel knows I. Uh, I draw an, a lot of auto fails. Well, I drew five in this game, and I still beat it. So I was pretty pumped wow. about that. <laughs> That's pretty disgusting in a bad way and then pretty disgusting in a good way. Yeah, no, I was after about the third auto fail, I thought, no, I think this game is slipping away from me. And I still had two more auto fails in me, but I managed to, uh, there was a pivotal turn where I was stuck with, was it a gray weaver and some rats or something like that? Like I was in, I was in deep trouble and, uh, I managed to uh, the the bag decided to to take its foot off my throat a little bit, and I managed to get rid of the gray weaver, and I managed to then seal off um, the the staircase. So basically, removing the uh, infestation bag from from play, and from there, I just sort of took the time I needed to 
to reset and uh, rebuild. And after, uh, I think I did draw an auto fail against the Grey Weaver, and that nearly killed me because he those things hit like a truck. And uh, but I did manage to five auto fails, and I still beat the game. So that felt uh, that felt pretty I good. I think that should be like a T-shirt you wear at upcoming events when you get together with people. Oh my god, that's amazing! I will design that. I will design that just so we can wear it. Oh, that's great. No, like, can you imagine people walking around with like their best came out from the. The, like he said, the chaos bag stepping on your throat moments. One of my listeners challenged me to play the Miskatonic Museum uh, with, um, what's his name? Who's the rogue? Um, the green one? Skids? No, no, the Forgotten Age. The Forgotten Age oh, Finn? Finn. Challenged me to play the Miskatonic Museum with Finn, and that was fantastic. That was an absolutely fantastic game that went right down to the wire. And then I realized at the end, he, as he pointed out in the comments, I had forgotten to trigger Finn's ability the entire game. So I basically played it with a, a one willpower blank investigator. <laughs> I still won. So that was good. But yeah, if, if you've never had the the joy of second T-shirt. the joy of playing and and the the reason it's so difficult is because the willpower skill tests in Miskatonic Museum are a dime a dozen. So if you're playing with Finn, you're almost guaranteed to fail all of them. So, but uh, yeah, I managed to pull it off, which was a pretty good feeling. What about you, Nathan? Do you have any uh, particularly memorable moments playing Arkham over the course of the year? You know, I have uh, what I like to call pandemic brain. And I don't, I had, every time I played, I was, I felt fortunate with my busy schedule to sit down and play the game. So nothing really outstanding so much as just, you know, good memories with friends and looking forward to getting out there more for next year so. Cheesy, horrible answer, but the truth. Well, then let me ask you this question. Then, oh, here we Nathan. go. Here we go. I know. Segwaying here. You like that? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, where do you think Arkham is heading into 2022? You know, I, I really appreciate their new model, how they give you everything at once. It allows for people to play on their schedule. It cuts down on plastic uh, packaging. It gives you a good storage solution along with the booklet and, and opens up the creative space for the designers. That said, there is a small part of me that kind of misses the monthly kind of drippings where they would come out with a new one. I almost wish they would focus on a new, um, uh, what do you call it, adventure scenario each month, even though they've all come out. So it's almost like they were continuing to drop them because, you know, it was kind of fun to read about, to see a little bit of art from or whatever. And and they could do that. Uh, no, there's nothing stopping them. But, uh, you know, I am looking forward to trying Mechanations in time. Um, I'm looking forward to, we're going to start hopefully at our shop, uh, an LCG night. So I'm looking forward to that. But as far as like official content coming out, I guess I'm just going to wait for the next bis- next big thing and do catch up and have fun in the meanwhile. How about you, Nate? Well, 
I mean, I think it's pretty obvious we're going to get another campaign and slew of investigators. They've already said that they're going to be re-releasing Dunwich in the same model. So I'll be curious to see how long they stretch that process out, whether they're going to do one campaign a year or maybe they go back and kind of rush through and catch the game up quickly to the new release model. I'm curious to see how that pans out. Uh, I guess kind of on the same line, uh, asking all of you guys, is do you think we're going to get another line of starter decks? Because those were super popular. I would like to see another set of starter decks. I know it's a, probably a lot of work to not only design uh, sets worth of cards to put them in, and but uh, they were very popular and they're a great way to get people into the game because you can just, even I enjoy just picking up starter decks and playing Um, if i don't want to build a deck it's nice to have the starter decks handy that i can you know just play uh, play without thinking too much about uh, deck building i think you know as as long as mj and jeremy are designing i think there's going to be you know limitless potential for this game um i think there's still areas that they can explore there are i think some some balance issues, but I mean we've seen that from the beginning of the game, especially with the the seeker class. It feels like they've really sort of just they can do everything well at this point and seem to get the the lion's share of the the overpowered cards. But that's been an issue for several cycles now, so it's it's really nothing new. I guess my only concern about the game is I think that it will continue as long as fantasy flight continues. And that is the only issue I see is man, it's a ghost town <laughs> on the fantasy flight website compared to what it used to be. They need to bring out that old tumbleweed gif from the, uh, from the early <laughs> days of the internet. Cause there's just not a lot of, not a lot of posts, you know, at least compared to the, you know, a couple years ago. And it's, and, you know, I, I'm not starting a the game is dying thread here, but, you know, it, it makes a big difference between when you, you know, when I would go to the Fantasy Flight Games website daily and there would be something new. It may not be for a game that I was interested in, but there was something new. And now it feels like weeks can pass before there's a new post, which is somewhat concerning, but hopefully... You know, they'll figure out these the the shipping woes that have really plagued everybody in the latter half of twenty twenty one will resolve itself and and uh Fantasy Flight will be able to give players of all of its games, not just Arkham, a better idea as to when they can expect things, because I think that's been a, a frustration for people. I, I think people are understanding because it's really beyond their control, but it is frustrating when um, there are expansions being released in one part of the world, but not the other part of the world. It's it's somewhat frustrating for content creators, I think, because it's not clear when an, a product is officially released. And as a content creator, I want to talk about the new stuff, but knowing the new stuff has been released, say, in England and hasn't been released here for weeks to come gets kind of annoying but again it's it's beyond their control and and 
they're not the only ones who are having to deal with this sort of stuff. But I think you, you nailed, you nailed that man from Lang with regards to, you know, the lack of information, regular information on their website, the unfortunate effect on content creators that want to be on top of releases, but can't because of the releases being staggered, not even just by days. I mean, we're talking sometimes months between one country and another getting a certain release it, it does make it really difficult and i think the the lifeblood of the hype for certain releases is the content creators um a lot of the a lot of the you know feelings of anticipation for something to come out or excitement for a certain product has to do with the community getting together and a huge part of the community getting together uh and talking and discussing certain releases is content creation and social media sites. And if people are holding off on talking about things because they want to be respectful of the countries that still haven't gotten those releases, it does affect that. It does prevent people from getting each other excited because that they feed off of each other. The excitement feeds off of that, you know? And if you're not able to talk about certain things with everybody because you don't want to spoil things for other people then that hype goes down pretty quickly. It, it just tapers off. Well, I think it's the nature of, of all content creators. You know, you want to be first out of the gate. And when something has been released in another part of the world and you're sort of like, well, I, I can't really do anything about this until I have the cards in hand. And it could be weeks or it could be months, you know, and, and Fantasy Flight hasn't been able to say, hasn't really been able to provide much information either way as to, you know, when certain areas are going to release it. I think it's JP in Finland. Has he, he's still waiting for return to the circle undone. Is that right, Nate? Or he has been, I believe he got his confirmation email on Christmas Eve. Wow. (laughs) So, so there are places that don't even have a product that was released in the summer here which is pretty and you know you guys know i like to do giveaways on my channel and it's it's tough to do giveaways of product when you have no idea when it's going to be released and you're just sort of like well you know i'm going to give i'm and and that was what i faced this fall was just like well i'm i want to give away this stuff but i honestly don't know when i'll be able to ship it Mm. which is or when they'll get it when you do ship it yeah, it's just a little frustrating in, in that respect, and trying to time it, time it so you're not you're not giving it away too early, or you know, I think people start to get excited about about releases when they know it's about to be released, right? And that's that's sort of when your maximum interest is going to have. So it was a difficult sort of timing those giveaways. It's just like, well, I think this product is coming out this month, so I better do it now because who knows, like I might announce this giveaway and then all of a sudden it releases on the following Friday, surprisingly. And, you know, it's just, yeah, it was just some frustrations as a content creator with, with the situation. But again, it's beyond their, beyond their control to a, Mm. to a large extent. Now, one thing you mentioned, man from Lang was, um, you think Arkham is going to be in a healthy place as long as fantasy flight stays in place and you have concerns about Fantasy Flight. Um, I think regardless of whether Fantasy Flight survives or not, um, not not I'm not trying to say that they're not going to survive or anything like that. But if Seriously, that were the case, base? 
Can I talk to you for a second over here? <laughs> right. That I, I don't want the community to start attacking me again about that. But um, um, everybody, please uh, write to Carolyn Fern, the botanist, uh, gmail.com, so Vase can have to give you something for that comment. Thank you. We want pictures of roasting marshmallows. Thank you. Um, so I think that uh, even, even if that were to happen, the game is so popular that something else will absorb it and do something with it. Um, I think the game is safe regardless. Even if other Arkham Files properties don't survive, let's say Arkham Horror, the card game will. Because it's still, if, if it retains its current popularity, it'll still be alive in one form or another. Now, Are you saying um, like uh, a long extended party for Lord of the Rings continues <laughs> to make fan-made content? Yeah, yeah. You we know, would just I mean, have the beard become the official maker of all products. Don't <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I think officially it'll still continue. But overall, I don't think that's happening. I think that the game is in a good place. I I think a lot of the silence does have to do with the state of the world as it is right now, which is beyond everybody's control. Um, I do think that they're making the proper moves that they needed to make to keep the game going. As everyone knows, I had that video earlier this year. Uh, when things did look a little bit dire, at least in my in my perspective, but they corrected and they changed course, and I think they did it for the better of the of the game, and I think it's heading in the right direction. I think the new release model is fantastic. I love the ability that they have now to kind of play around with design space. Um, they have a little bit more breathing room, a little bit more freedom to kind of experiment a little bit, and. The, the game is popular enough that I think the community would be forgiving if the game does experiment with certain things, certain changes or additions that are completely out of left field and may not be well received or may be very well received. But I think the game is in a place where the designers can take a chance with things like that. And the way the release model has been changed, it's a perfect opportunity for that kind of thing. So I think that may be something we might see in the future, maybe even this coming year. Um, but at least at the very least, I think man from Lang is right. I think we're definitely getting investigator expansion. I do think we're getting investigator starter decks. Uh, that was such a popular product. I don't see the company not taking advantage of that. It is a difficult task in terms of design distribution and all that kind of thing. But overall, I, you know, I agree with Man from Lang. The designers are really smart, and they can. I think they can pull it off. And having new uh, investigator decks, the way Marvel Champions has been um, pretty successful with that, the way the expansions for Marvel kind of now mirroring or Arkham mirroring a little bit of what Marvel was doing, I think it is a good sign for the future of investigator starter decks as well as uh, new expansions for Arkham. You know, I I'm I'm very I would be ecstatic if they release new uh, new investigator starter decks as long as we don't get uh, medical texts the permanent medical text level 3, <laughs> medical text level 4, <laughs> levels, medical text level 5 as well as the same the same run for healing work. <laughs> I that there I I realize there's like eight cards I just I just designed, but I don't want to see. Okay, what about cards. trench knife level two and level three and level four? No, no, no. <laughs> Why trench would you say knife that out loud? Like, what would possess? You know, <laughs> you, you talked about we don't, we don't need to see upgrades for cards that don't, don't need, need upgrades. Them. You talked about the bleed between the games a little bit with champions and, and Arkham. 
I thought it was cool when Lord of the Rings came out with the announcement of a new core set that they're now weaving the first three adventures that come in the core box together. But going back to a previous comment, maybe about the the future of Arkham or what I'm excited about, it's a toss-up between, like you've said, new investigator decks, which are great, great content, great capabilities, easy for players to to jump in with and also good for veterans. Uh, I hate to say it, I'd like to see more Barkham anything. Maybe the Barkwitch Horror uh, they could eventually come out with that uh, deluxe yes. box. Um, in addition to that, uh, I would also like to see uh, some kind of like a standalone that's maybe in a couple installments, like a, a part one, a part two that they could space out. Mm. Almost like uh, Guardians of the Abyss, but not one package. That would give people, it would, it would kind of do that drip of information. It would keep excitement out there and it'd be totally optional. So you don't have to do it if you don't want to. And then, of course, the fourth thing is, um, uh, I don't know if you caught MJ's announcement over the Christmas holiday, but she said that um, there's a 100% chance that there's at least a 1% chance that she will come out with a blowgun uh, for Guardian class. And I'm here for it. Um, I think Man from Lang brought up the fact he wanted to see a blowgun in the game a while ago, and I, I endorsed it, and I've kind of run with it, so... Kind of excited about that. The, my, the only other thing on my wish list is a parallel version of Father Mateo <laughs> that's actually good. So, <laughs> wow. Like I saw the Vase. gloves come off. I just didn't so know Vase, where that was when going. He, when Vase does decide to play his favorite it investigator. It can't happen for he's... Father Mateo. It's not possible because he's a Catholic <laughs> he's... and that doesn't happen. We can raise Vase's level of play to at least, you know, a, a standard. We could Folks, call what it do you think about that comment? Mateo. Write to Carolyn Fern, the botanist at gmail.com to share your thoughts on, on this uh, shots fired from Man from Lang to, to Vase. <laughs> you know, you guys have already kind of jumped on onto my next question was, yeah, what would be your list, wish list oh, for I already 2022? Did mine. And yeah. I think... Yeah, kind of on the same thing that you had mentioned about that, like, dual scenario pack, Nathan, is I was kind of hoping that they would do campaign releases without investigator releases. You know, there's nothing saying that they... They might have to one day at the rate they're going. Yeah, there's nothing saying that they have to release investigators and campaigns together. Right? They could just release a campaign and then that's it. Or just release a group of investigators and that's it. You know, if they're willing to do investigator starter decks, I don't see why there isn't a possibility for them to do smaller campaigns. You know, maybe they are sort of like three-part campaigns, kind of like Return to the Gathering or something like that, where it's maybe they're more difficult. Maybe you, I don't know, maybe you have some sort of like XP gate that you need to crossover you know something along those lines where maybe you start at like 10 xp and then you play the three scenarios and that's that or something like that you know something along those lines that i think would be more interesting than just here's another standalone here's another standalone here's another multiplayer standalone personally i hope that they they do release once we do get the uh, the parallel wendy investigator i hope that they do officially release them because as is the problem with all the parallel investigators i just simply forget they exist because they're not 
there aren't uh, hard copies of them. And uh, I would like to, to have them in hard copy. That would be nice. Parallel Skids is really good, too. Yeah, yeah, he is. And he's fun to build for. And and I think, you know, I don't know how many, how, how many of these Parallel Investigators they're going to release, but uh, it does give them a way of essentially doubling the number of investigators without adding a lot of of uh of overhead to it having to you know redesign or i think it's probably easier to come up with a couple of new abilities to put on investigators rather than coming up with entirely new investigators themselves so if they are starting to run low on on sort of the arkham files standards that they I'm sure we'll see some new investigators from from uh, a lot of diverse backgrounds. MJ's been great for for promoting diversity in this game, and and I'd like to see that continue. But uh, I'd also like to see uh, the parallels be officially printed. So because right now they sort of I know when we do our reviews, it's inevitable that somebody points out like, oh well, this works really well in Parallel Daisy. I'm like, I honestly was never thinking. <laughs> Parallel Daisy just never enters my my train of thought. Like, I just forget she exists at all. Yeah, I'm kind of the same way. You know, it's like there's already over 50 if you're including the parallel investigators to consider when we're doing those reviews. And it's just, hey, what's everybody's thoughts on releasing the parallel investigators as the standalone investigators? That way you'd have, you know, characters made that are, quote unquote, core, right? You'd get the parallel officially made, and they'd give you another crack at doing some um, some basic cards as well as adding, of course, new content and some new uh, weaknesses. It'd be kind of neat. I'd be down for it. Yeah, it'd be cool if it came with new player cards. You know, because i I could see I could see the argument of, uh, well, these are basically just like half the core set stripped out of it, which is like medical text four would be good. We think. Mm. Yeah, medical tech for clarity mouth. of mind. <laughs> I think they should put in healing word level two as well. But um, but yeah, it'd be. I think that'd be cool. You know, it'd be nice to see those parallel investigators in in physical print, just so I don't actually forget about them when I'm showing them off to my friends who play this game once or twice a year. Yeah, I th- I'm I'm in the boat of uh, the same as Nathan. You know whatever they print I'm buying so print as much as you like <laughs> I'll buy it insert fry gif of the money yep yeah <laughs> yep. just take it all just keep taking it I'll just keep stacking it on my shelf yeah I was trying to think of like what else I'd like to see and I think the only other things I'd like to see it is is I'd like to see mystic get Two things. One, more cards that interact with Doom. Because I find I want to build a Doom deck, and there's like, I think, one or two cards that that deck is missing. So please print those cards. And number two, I'd like to see Mystics get more useful things to do with their arcane slot. Because it feels like every cycle we sort of just get this trinity of evade investigate and attack and it'd be nice to see 
mystics do more with that slot yeah especially with the release of that uh, the card in edge of the earth the uh the circle what's that one called oh close the circle yep. close the circle that that actually would let you uh play some of those uh, or uh, as well as true magic to be able to to use some of those cards that'd be cool yeah, I would personally. I'd like to see them release a, a couple cards for the the Akachi Charge deck, so she can play around with moving charges around and spending charges and to fuel different types of effects. That would be, I think, there'd be a cool deck there. It's weird to me how the charges theme has been in the game since her release, but secrets have been sort of this nebulous thing. But then got fleshed out in a matter of one or two cycles while Akachi is just sort of sitting there twiddling her thumbs waiting around. Yeah, the the secrets really exploded at the end of the Innsmouth conspiracy there. And and uh, charges, they just sort of, you either add them or use them. Not a whole lot to do with them other than that. And I think, especially with an investigator like Akachi who generates additional charges, there's... There's some interesting things there, I think, that uh, that they could do. But, uh, Nate, you wanted more things with the spell slots, but what about alchemical transmutation? It gives you resources. It's true. I don't think alchemical transmutation is terrible sometimes. What? I said, hold up, wait a minute. Something right. Well, okay, so I've been playing True Magic recently, and it's not bad in a True Magic deck where it's not taking up an Arcane slot. Now, are you talking about level two alchemical transmutation, or are you saying the level zero is... Uh... No, the level zero. I think the level two one is a bit overcosted for what it is. It's it's not as bad. Like, if you're comparing it to, like, Voice of Raw, for instance, you know, I think it's pretty comparable. Mm, I disagree with you, Nate. Voice of Raw doesn't take up a, an arcane slot. Hey, listen, if you want to, if, yeah, hey, I'm saying in that specific deck, it's fine. I wouldn't play it in any Fair other enough. circumstance, to be clear. They ask you how you are, you just have to say that you're fine when you're not really fine. You know what's not great? Have you ever tried salted egg flavored Lay's potato chips? So Nathan, what's on the community spot? <laughs> you got very pringly. So that's great. I'm glad you asked. Um, community spotlight. I think we still have a lot of great content coming out as far as fan maids. Uh, I always play the festival each year because it is kind of Christmas themed around this time. And I find myself always coming back to against uh, the Wendigo, done by uh, oh, our French friend that I'm blanking on his name. He goes by a nickname. But uh, I tend to play those a lot. And then uh, I think pretty much uh, Man from Lang, I'm not sure if you have as much, but I know other people have tried out uh, some of the Beards content with Alice in Wonderland, etc., um, I have yet to do the Headless Horseman. I want to do that one soon. Oh, Sleepy Hollow. That one's really good. I played that one a couple of months ago, actually. Quite enjoyed that one. I'd really recommend that one. There you go. Hey, Nathan, didn't we play um, Color Out of Space with Network 57 like a year or that two ago? That was three years, years ago. ago. <laughs> okay. 
three, four years ago. It was a while ago. That was pretty good. That was fun. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. It almost had um, the first scenario in the Dream Eaters feel to it in the hospital. Uh, yeah, yeah, part of it. And then there was like the bridges and there were the husks, kind of like zombies. It was pretty cool. Uh, spoilers. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, what? <clears throat> All's well that ends well, especially in that scenario. Color out of space. Cool. Uh, what about you, Man from Lang? Any uh, community uh, scenarios or activities that uh, have caught your attention? No. All right, Nate. Well, I think Nathan was trying to uh, to segue into my my new segment that I'm going to do every end of the year is my fan favorites of the year. So as I am the one that primarily streams on the Twitch channel with face on Sundays, I've had the the opportunity to play quite a few of the fan-made scenarios released over the past year and before that as well. And I think over the past year, some of my favorites have been, as you had mentioned, um, Nathan, the Beards, Alice in Wonderland campaign that Vase and I had played through part of and that we need to replay through because it got trounced in one of the scenarios. But that was a really cool, really cool campaign that you can play either forwards or backwards, which is neat. Um, I really enjoyed Symphony of Eric Zahn. I played that one with a patron of the show, Codeb Games, who uh, who showed me that one. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, I think that one has, I think, some of the best theme throughout the encounter deck, and it was pretty well balanced. It's one of the shorter fan maids as well, which I appreciated. You know, I find that some of the fan maids just drag on a little too long, but Symphony of Erikson is really good. And then I played Sleepy Hollow during Halloween, and that one was really good. And the last one I want to recommend, which wasn't in my notes because I actually played it last week, was Dark Matter. Uh, have any of you guys heard about this campaign? I know Myth... Is that the sci-fi one? It is, yeah. So it's it takes the King in Yellow. It actually literally takes the first part of Curtain Call... And it subverts it, and it puts you in space rather than putting you in the Ward Theater. And it even makes mention of, like, the Ward Theater. And it, uh, it's really cool. Really, really good scenario, and I really enjoyed that one. So I'm going to give my big thumbs up to Dark Matter this year. Um, I think that's going to be my top favorite of the wow. year. Wow. With a close, close second being Alice in Wonderland. But Alice in Wonderland might technically win just because it was actually released this year, whereas I think Dark Matter was released the year before. I could be wrong on that, but but either way. I think Alice in Wonderland was released two years ago, technically. You know what, Nathan? Uh, I'm right. <laughs> Suck it. Anyway, I played it in 2021, so that's when it came out for me. Uh, but anyway, really great scenarios. Really recommend that you check those out either on Arkham Central or via other methods, which we uh, we don't talk about here. Well, since most of my Arkham this year was with Nate, other than teaching some new players uh, the gathering, uh, pretty much uh, it's going to be in line with Nate. I, I did enjoy Alice in Wonderland quite a bit. I thought that was very well done. The mechanics kind of helped the narration of the story. It... It really reminded me of early Arkham scenarios where, 
you know, you can imagine things that are happening based on the mechanical outcomes of things. So that was really well done. Um, a little long in terms of the flavor text, but we can forgive that with uh, how good the rest of the scenario was. And um, even though we died very, very badly uh, partway through the campaign, the campaign as a whole, like really, really did not overstay its welcome. Each scenario was fresh and unique and very, very full of flavor and uh, very interesting and fun mechanics. And uh, they were there were a lot of new things in it, too. It wasn't just like boring or samey, samey stuff, you know, things you've seen before. Uh, the, the, the beard found a, a great way to make the scenarios unique and interesting and still keep them fair and uh, balanced. Um, I think it was so well done. So props to the beard for such an awesome campaign. So that's my highlight for the year. Now, not Arkham, um, you mentioned the Mark Teppo books uh, way earlier in the year, maybe last year, and I just started getting into them. Uh, I hadn't had a chance to crack them open, uh, really, but uh, Choose Your Own Adventure is something that I grew up reading, and it's really cool to be able to enjoy Arkham with Choose Your Own Adventure. So if anyone gets a chance to get some of the like Mansions of Madness or some of the other Mark Teppo Choose Your Own Adventure books, they're very Arkham adjacent and really fun, so... That's another one that I like. The Doom that came to the coffee shops, another one. And it was Beyond the Walls of Sanity, I think. Yeah, I think I have that one and the mansions. I have two of them. And I just have the mansions. Just keep in mind, it's not just um, awesome writing. Uh, it's not just the beloved Arkham Horror content that you know and love, but it's also a good dose of humor because Mark is an intelligent writer and also likes to take the piss as the British would say, I know that in the most recent novel, as you're reading along, it references you to like chapter two or whatever, and you go to go to chapter two and the entire chapter has been redacted. So there is no chapter two. You're just kind of going around around it. But it's things like that that just kind of make you like just a little bit looking up out of the at the fourth wall. Like what? Yeah, like Arkham <laughs> does to us every once in a while. Oh, man, <laughs> all the time. So anyway, a lot of fun there. Oh, uh, I also, it, I, I was thinking it had been a while since we'd done a plug for our Patreon. Just as a friendly reminder, if anybody enjoys our content and would like to help sponsor us, you can find us, The Great Old Ones Gaming, on Patreon. Uh, and there are some fun things that Nate, who is the head of this cabal, uh, does now and then to reward members. Uh, he sent me an, a brand new Tesla car a picture on a postcard, um, kind of at random. So you just never know what's going to happen. But it's just a good way to support content if you are enjoying it and want to support our endeavors. We not only release the episodes early to all of our patrons, but uh, as Nathan alluded to earlier, we I do organize a holiday gift every year, whether it's something relatively small like it was this year or T-shirts like I gave out last year. I love sending people stuff. It's, it's really a fun way to interact with uh, with the community. So if you're not already, please be sure to check out patreon.com slash the great old ones gaming. If you like our content and would like to support us, that would be awesome. Now, Nathan, I think it's time for trivia. Cue the music. Da, 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 da. 
Sometime I'll have to like reach out and have somebody professionally make some music for that part. Um, so yeah, this is fantastic. So I have, as I have already told the other people in this podcast, I have a very special and horrible thing that I'm going to make them do today for the trivia. Of course, you at home can play right along. It's going to be simple. The answer to each of these questions or, or things that I'm doing is you're simply going to buzz in or whatever we're doing, and you're going to say the name of the campaign. The answers could include the corset, Dunwich, Innsmouth, the Forgotten Age, uh, what else we got? Carcosa, Dream Eaters, Circle Undone. This does not have anything from the most recent one. I didn't want to spoil too much. So I'm going to be reading a part of the Agenda 1A card. You are going to then chime in if you know the answer by saying, I got it, and I'll call on you, and then you'll tell me your guess. Right answer, if you get the campaign, will get you a point. Wrong answer will lose you a point. Uh, I have 14. Here we go. Oh, we'll do an example. Um, blah, 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 Dunwich, blah, blah, blah. I got it. Okay, what is Dunwich. that, Ace? Yeah, that is correct. Do I get no points point. taken away but you by get the example. <laughs> uh, we'll find out at the end. Okay. I uh, might have something special for you. All right, here we go. Uh, Nate, go ahead and pick a category. Uh, picture? That's, that was a joke because there is no ah. category. All right, here we go. As you step off the train... In Gare d'Orsay, the sun sinks below I got the it. Paris sky. Man from Lang. Path to Carcosa. Path to Carcosa is correct. See? Just that easy. By the way, this entire trivia round was brought to you by the Let's Let Man from Lang win. All right. Next one. Here we go. As you pull up to the manor, you notice that something is wrong. I got it. Yeah. The circle undone. Ooh, I'm afraid that's going to lose you a point. Does oh. anyone else want to try? That was a good guess. I mean, it's better than Forgotten Age. (laughs) The path to Carcosa? Path to Carcosa. Trail of blood leads up to the porch steps and the front door is smashed. That was pretty close, though. All right, Nate, you're on the board. This Ina Point. Next, your boat docks at the Port de la Avancée. I got got it. I got it. Man from Lang. The path to Carcosa. Path to Carcosa coming back. (laughs) Next. Here we go. You can <clears throat> you can start playing any time base, you know. <laughs> I, I said at the same time as you and he called on you. No, well, no he I was first. Said it first. That's he the technically thing. said it first. Vase, if you would play more off with me since we're in the same goddamn city, I'd call you more. Here we go. <laughs> From your initial dream, I've you have it. been drawn. I got it. Vase. Dreamy the dreamy. Okay, that was just a lucky guess. I don't know how you would have gotten that. We are at 111, folks. Here we go. Next one. A curl of mist wraps it. the lighthouse. Yes. Circle. Oh, lighthouse. Uh, uh, Dunwich. <laughs> Dunwich. <laughs> I got it. Innsmouth Conspiracy. <laughs> Not Dunwich. Uh, man from it. Lang. Is it the Innsmouth Conspiracy? That is correct. Base, you've lost a point. I misspoke. I, I knew think, it was I, Shut I your, shut your whore mouth. I, sh- I think you should lose three and gain one, but that's just me. That was crazy verbal wow. vomit. All right. For our uh, listeners at home, I'm sorry about that. Here we go. Next one. 
As you approach Sentinel Hill, I've got it. I got it. I got it. Dunwich. Nate and Man from Lang. What's the answer? <laughs> Dunwich. Man from Lang. It was the Dunwich Legacy. All right, I'll give you both. Where a point. Doom awaits. Right, next. Do I get a bonus point if I tell you the scenario? Nah, you're good. Here we go. Your welcome in Dunwich has been cold. Dunwich. I got it. Got it. Nate. <laughs> Dunwich. Dunwich is correct. Is Nate following the, the proper rules. Vase, I'm so sorry. Next. <clears throat> Your expedition has ventured far it. into the rainforest. The forgotten age. Did I call on you? Oh, you got I'll give you a point. Vase, one point. All right. Next. All right, here we go. <clears throat> Reports of terrifying entities wreaking havoc across the countryside have caused the denizens. I got it. Yes. The Dunwich Legacy. That is correct. Uh, technically, it was citizen, not denizen, but I didn't want to go back and correct myself. All right. Man from Lang gets another point. Here we go. You are at a crossroads. Reflect on the choices you I've have got made. It. Yeah, the base. Circle done. Correct. Good job, ah. base. Kind of bet against you on that one. All right, here we go. Slowly and cautiously, you begin your descent to the red man from Lang. The Forgotten Age. Correct. (laughs) What the hell were you going to say? I was going to say the Forgotten. He's going to (laughs) say, okay, give up. Here we go. I see you there playing with fate like it's all some sort of game. I got it. Did you really? Nate? The circle undone. It is not correct. I've got it. Anybody ah, else? I've got it. Yeah. Dream meters. I think that's correct. We'll go with dream meters on that one. But you Base think three. it's correct? <laughs> All right. Next <laughs> one. Here we go. Adapt your beliefs and be open to new truths. You are expected to conform. Do not stray from the path. I got it. Nate. That's the dream eaters. That is not correct. I've got Sorry, it. Nate. Yep. I'm pretty sure that's the path to Carcosa. All right. Let's go ahead and lose a point for uh, base. Anybody else? It sounds really familiar, but I'm not. Uh, I can't pick one. I don't know what it is. Uh, I will say forest when you defeat a silver twilight enemy, but we'll just go on from there. All right. Next one. It's late at night. You are holed up in your study. Researching the it. bloody disappearances. Nate. The Night of the Zealot. Yeah. You could also say Corset. All right. Final scores. Nate from uh, Lost in Time and Space, three points. Man from Lang, five points. Vase, two points. And as always, Nathan gets zero because I am forced doing all the trivia. You can send your comments on why Nathan should have more points than everybody else to carolynfernthebotanist at gmail.com of which uh, Vase will have to answer you or send you something. Good job, everybody. I I still think there should have been bonus points for for getting the scenario correct. Well, since you won, sure. We'll give you double points. Ten points, man from Lang. Give it up. Round of applause. Got my ass beat this round. Damn. Not as bad as Vase. I'm gonna have to reread all of that. Well, when you when you play with a handicap, like. of course, you know, gotta make oh, it a handicap. Yeah, Panama, it first of all, rude. Okay, Panama <laughs> is a wonderful country with the population and 
GDP higher than other countries and less than others. So <laughs> watch your mouth. Well, that sounds like as good as a signing off point as I've ever heard one, right? <laughs> it was a good year. A very good year for Arkham. Yeah, overall, I mean, 2021 was a pretty good year for Arkham. We saw the, the release of Insmith, which I think is one of the game's better campaigns overall. I think Insmith is going to age like TFA. You think so? Which is a good thing for all you TFA haters out there. That's a good mm-hmm. thing. TFA is a great campaign. Um, and then we saw, you know, a whole new way of releasing campaigns in the edge of the earth, which is just, you know, I think we've sung praises of that new release model for countless episodes at this point. So, uh, yeah, really excited to see where the game goes in 2022. But uh, we hope to see all of you January 8th from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. Pacific Standard or Eastern Standard Time for our Horrors Without Borders charity live stream event. I think that's going to do it for this episode. I have been your host, Nate, lost in time and space, and I was joined with this evening. I'm Man from Lang, host of the Whisper and Darkness YouTube channel. I'm Innkeeper Vizodin from the Twisted Tentacle. Hey, and this is Nathan, Jester of the Abyss, master of all things Strudel. You can find me on Instagram at Arkham Horror Images of Madness or other weird parts of the internet. You said lost in time and space, and I let it go. (laughs) That's true. I did do that. I know. I heard it. Yeah. They didn't put Mateo on the uh, the list of taboos. Mateo. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't mutate (laughs) Mateo to make him better. Yeah, they They did. They they uh. They did print into the thick of it to get. Because they realized that five XP just wasn't cutting it, so they needed to. But they they felt that they just couldn't give it to Mateo, so.